you guys again today. Uh, we are still in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ben and I have been working our way through this book. We're now in chapter 8, and it has, it has been very challenging. It, it's been a challenging book to preach. Uh, it's been a challenging book to hear, but it is a book of the reality of our world. Uh, let, let me pray for us, and we'll read our text and begin. Lord, thank you for the sacrament of baptism. Thank you that, God, our hope is that Christ would wash over our sin-sick souls. That Jesus, by his grace, would come and make us new. God, we thank you for those outward signs that point us to Christ, that point us to the reason for the hope that we have. Father, you tell us in the scriptures that all the scriptures are about Jesus. So as we read the scriptures, as we meditate upon the scriptures, as we preach the scriptures, it should always bring us to Christ. It should always bring us to see him in his glory and his majesty. And Father, as my prayer today that is I who also am a great sinner stand and proclaim your word that God, we would see Christ, that I would see Christ, and that you would be exalted. Holy Spirit, come, honor the preaching of your word. Give us all ears to hear. May the seed of your gospel find good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we read? Our passage for today comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of his death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, just by sort of way of overview for you who have not been here as we've taught through this book, this book is an ancient book, and yet it's a book that best helps us understand our modern times. Jonathan Kozul of the Washington, D.C. journalist once interviewed an inner-city grandmother in Washington, D.C., and his question was to her, how do you make sense of all that is going on in the world today with all the chaos that is happening in our world and in our country? 
Grandmother paused for a minute. She pointed to this book laid open on her nightstand. And as the journalist looked over at the book, it was open to the book of Ecclesiastes. And the grandmother said, it's all right there, sir. It's all right there in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the book that pulls no punches. As one author says, the preacher pours out his soul and hides nothing, even of his own folly, even of his own sin. Who is this book for? It's for the person who asks the hard questions in life. It's for the person who seeks to know what truth is. It's for the discontent. It's for the thoughtful, the cynic, the skeptic. For those who have found themselves on the road of suffering, trials, hardships, when they're not content with just cliches, they're not content with just the pet Sunday school answer about suffering and struggle in this world. If life seems more like a cup of cold water in the face than anything else in the book of Ecclesiastes is for you. It asks questions like this, what is the meaning of life? How do we live in the few days that we have under the sun? What does it mean to live the good life? What does it mean to live life in the manner that it's supposed to be lived? What does it look like to live well in this complicated, often contradictory world, planet we call Earth? You see, life can be at times very complicated. It can almost be like trying to untangle a rod and reel that your three-year-old has gotten a hold of and it's been backlashed time and time again. You pull on one and it gets tighter. You pull on the other, it gets tighter. It's like trying to undo a hairball. Life is complicated. It's not clear, cut, and dry like you thought when you were five or six or seven. Ecclesiastes is the book that you go to to answer the hard questions. It's a part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. If the book of Proverbs is personified as this smart teacher who encourages us to the good life by living according to God's word, then Ecclesiastes is the middle-aged critic that pushes back and says, yes, smart young teacher, what happens when I follow God's word? What happens when I hear to God's wisdom and all hell breaks loose in my life? That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is meaningless. You'll hear that over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's hevel. It's like trying to grab hold of smoke. It's trying to hold fast to jello. Right? Life often feels like we're building sandcastles on the sea as a tidal wave comes in. There's three things the preacher uses to bust our mirage about life. One is the march of time. 
Time goes on day after day. The sun comes up. The sun goes down. Time will eventually erase everyone in this room. It will not only erase you, but it will erase everyone that you know and everything that you have accomplished in this life. Wow, preacher, I'm glad I showed up today, right? Describes life like the morning dew. The sun comes up and it's, it's gone. In other words, on the cosmic scale of things, you and I are like a blip, like a flash in the pan, like my nine-year-old shooting the bottle rocket into the air. Pop, it's over. He also uses the never-ending reality of death. If time is not enough to erase you, death is. You can have the great career, you can gather all the wealth, status, pleasure, start your own business, have the wonderful five-member family, accomplishments, inventions, and on and on until you're featured in the who's who of the world today. And guess what? Death is going to take it all. If that's not enough to make you sort of depressed, <laughs> then there's a life seemingly random events that happen, right? Ecclesiastes 9.11 puts it like this, because you might push back and say, preacher, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to get the degree. I'm going to be the next great inventor, the next one to do something famous in space. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says this, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance will happen to them all. You see, the book of Ecclesiastes is meant to consume your dreams and to consume your aspirations in life sort of like a California wildfire. It's just meant to leave char and burn as you sort of walk through it. But the good news is this. It doesn't do that to bring you to the despair and to be cynical. It does that so that new growth, so that true life can begin. So remember that as we walk through Ecclesiastes. The preacher is after what true life, genuine life is all about. He wants that for you. He wants that for himself. So as we look at our passage today, starting in verse one, it says, who is like the wise? Who is like the sage? Who is like the scribe? Who's like the person who knows truth, but he not only knows truth, but he knows how to bring the truth into every situation that he comes to with wisdom and with discernment and with pinpoint accuracy. He doesn't just have knowledge, but he knows how to take knowledge and he knows how to apply it to every single situation that he comes to. So he not only knows the right answer, but he knows how to bring it to bear in his life and in your life. Listen at Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Four says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Very next verse, listen. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. 
What is this, double talk in the scriptures? No, it's saying wise people know how to answer situations. And sometimes you need to answer the fool in his folly, and sometimes you need to keep your mouth shut so that you don't look like a fool in trying to correct the fool. And so wisdom, wisdom is about knowing the truth, but wisdom is also about applying the truth. No one knows this better than Solomon. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. It's a very sad story. It's about two prostitutes. They basically live in the same house. Both of them have become pregnant. One's child was born a few days after the other's child. And then a few days later, in the middle of the night, one of the mothers accidentally sleeps on her child, and the child dies. That happens in our world today. We know that. I've heard stories of that. The mother whose child dies gets up in the middle of the night, switches the children, and the lady who has the living child wakes up and realizes that her child's dead, but it's not her child. Now, in today's culture, right, it'd be real easy to find out whose child it really is, the living child. We have DNA, we have all those kind of things. But in Solomon's time, how are you going to find that out? You don't know who the dad is, you have no idea the situation. So the women come to the king, both claiming that the living child is theirs. King Solomon listens. He listens with wisdom, he listens with discernment. And he says this, bring me a sword. So they bring him a sword, and he said, give me the child. He said, since we cannot determine whose child this is, I will cut the child in half, and each of you can have a piece of the dead child. Immediately, the mother, whose child it was, speaks up and says, no, she can have the child. Let the child live. Solomon immediately knew which one the child belonged to. Wisdom, right? It's not just knowing the truth. It's not just knowing the principles, but it's knowing how to bring them to bear on particular situations. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, God would cause his face, cause his glory to shine on his people, would cause his wisdom to shine on his people so they might know the way that they should go. You see, wisdom makes those that possess it Listen at the very next verse. It says, A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom makes those who possess it gracious. Wisdom makes those who really possess wisdom, it makes them very gracious, and very kind, and very benevolent, like God. You know, the church has failed very much in this over the years. And oftentimes the church has been very harsh and very cynical, almost as though we are any better than any other sinners in the world, right? But the Bible says that wisdom actually produce, produces humility and graciousness and kind-heartedness. Wisdom basically makes those who possess it a, a light and a signpost to others. Not harsh, not disgruntled, but wisdom transforms us by God's grace. 
and it makes us warm. It even makes us warm to those who are our enemies. That's what the scriptures teach. There's a few examples in scripture. One is Stephen when he's being stoned. It says his face is actually glowing, shining like an angel. And then often as Moses would go and be with God and he would come down to the people, his face would be glowing. So wisdom, it helps us navigate life, right? It helps us make good decisions. It helps us to bring the truth to bear on situations. But it not only does that, but wisdom also helps us navigate relationships. Helps us navigate the court of the king. Listen at verses two through five. I say, keep the king's commands because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he, that is the king, does whatever he pleases. In other words, he can sort of execute whoever he wants to execute. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? So the point is this, wisdom not only helps us to bring the truth to bear, but wisdom also helps us navigate the courts of our superiors. Wisdom helps us to understand that it's not wise to abandon the king. It's not wise to show the king up. It's not wise to be hasty in an evil cause to overthrow the government. It's not wise to do that. We know from the scriptures, 1 Peter 2.13, that we should be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governors. Romans 13 puts it like this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. So Ecclesiastes is saying wisdom is not only beneficial to giving good advice and counsel, but wisdom is also beneficial in navigating your way to the governing authorities in our world. Whether that be governments, whether that be emperors, whether that be kings. So you may ask, what, like, what do we do, though, preacher, when the king's laws, the president's laws cut through God's law? What do you do then? You just obey the government? The government's laws cut through God's laws? Do you just say, well, yes, we need to obey the government? No, Acts 14, 19 tells us that Peter and John found themselves before the council the governing authorities, and they said, listen, we don't want you to go out and preach in Jesus' name anymore. We don't want you to mention that name. And Peter's reply was this, we must obey God rather than man, right? So we obey, we submit to the governing authorities, we humble ourselves under them unless the governing authorities tell us to do things that are against God's law. You see how wisdom is very important here? You see how it's tremendously important not to be wise in your own eyes and to be a wise person and to be able to bring to bear the truth into a tricky situation like this. Right? Our country experienced that during the American Revolution. It experiences it today. 
So we've got to know the Scriptures, but we also have to be wise in how we bring the Scriptures to our decision-making, how we bring the Scriptures as we navigate through government. We have an example of this in the Scriptures also in Daniel, the book of Daniel. It talks about Daniel and his friends. Listen to this. Daniel and his friends were basically, Babylon came and took over Jerusalem and hauled many of the people who lived there off to Babylon. So Daniel's a part of that. He's been kidnapped, basically. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, Listen, Daniel, I fear the Lord, the king, that is, who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you are worse conditioned than the use that you are, than the use of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, and Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days, and let us be given only vegetables to eat and water. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the use who the king who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. So basically the story is that Daniel was taken into captivity and he was asked to defile God's law. And in wisdom, Daniel did not just come out and be like, I'm not doing that. You're not going to get me to do that. But he uses wisdom in the way that he goes about this. He's like, listen, I'm just asking you to test me for 10 days eating the foods that I know the Lord would have me eat and then see if I am not brighter and smarter than those who eat the king's food. So Daniel uses wisdom there in navigating the situation that he had with the king and the government. So we have two instances here. One, why wisdom is important to bring the truth to bear on situations, and the other, how wisdom is important, basically, in dealing with governments, mainly in how not to lose your head. I know we live in a republic, <laughs> but most people in the world lived under kings, and if you disagreed with the king, then your head usually rolled. There was no debating, there was no voting, you usually died, so wisdom was extremely important being able to discern and decipher and determine what you needed to do. Listen at verse 5b and verse 6. The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. So there's a proper time and there's a just way to go about things. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. So we know from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8 there's a time for everything, right? And even if you know how to navigate every time there is, if you know how to navigate the time to be born and the time to plan and the time to kill, if you know how to navigate through life using wisdom in all of those things, if you know how to navigate every path and every road and every avenue under the sun, 
And you may use your wisdom to escape every situation that you come to. Situation after situation after situation. And you may use your wisdom to make your way all the way to the top. This passage says, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. That word trouble means evil. And basically what it's saying is you will not get away from your brokenness. You may navigate your way and you may be the wisest person on planet earth. You may know all the answers to life. You may even navigate your way through the courts of the king, but you cannot navigate yourself away from the brokenness in your own heart. There's no way to avoid the brokenness in your own heart nor the brokenness in the world. The weight of your own sin and brokenness, the heaviness of the fallen world will always be there. No matter how wise you and I get, no matter if we know all the answers, sin, our own sin and the sin of the world is still there to deal with, right? It's still there. No matter how wise you get, it's still there every day you wake up and every day you go to sleep. The Bible says there's not a righteous man on earth who always does what is right and never sins. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Psalms 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And basically Solomon is like, how are you going to navigate that? How is your wisdom, how is your ability to bring to bear on situations going to navigate sin? What are you going to do with it? Then verse 7 says this. For he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? If that's not enough, if it's not enough that we got this issue of sin that is not only external, but it's also internal, and wisdom is not going to help you navigate that. Wisdom is not going to help you overcome your sin and your brokenness. And he says, on top of that, what wise man can you tell me that can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow? Right? It's like Steve Gleason. Y'all remember him? Does anybody remember that name? He was the guy for the Saints that blocked the punt after the first night the Superdome was over. It opened, reopened. Do y'all remember him? It's one of the greatest moments in Saints history. Top of the world, right? Top of the world. Five years later, diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's in a wheelchair, barely breathe. I don't even know if he's still alive right now. And the preacher is saying, how are you going to navigate that? How is your wisdom going to get you through that? How is your wisdom going to get you through times like Job? Right? You wake up, your whole family's gone. All your kids are dead. All your animals are dead. All your servants are dead. All your homes are burnt down. Solomon's saying, what's wisdom going to do for you then? That's tough, isn't it? Basically, what he's trying to say is you may move and navigate through the world with eloquence and grace, and you may avoid all the rough places in life. That may happen to you. 
You may get smooth sailing your whole life. And then verse 80 says this, but no man has the power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of his death. There is no discharge from the war, nor, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Basically what he's saying is if you navigate all that and you get through all that, guess what? Death's still coming. Death is still coming and every one of us are going to die. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. You're like, whoa, preacher, you're just pulling me down. You're just making me depressed. And the thing is, there's no way to avoid it. There's no way to avoid or escape all the suffering and death. And none of us in here know if tomorrow we might wake up with Lou Gehrig's. So what is the preacher after? What, what, what is he trying to tell us about wisdom? Listen to this. It's the verse that we read for our New Testament reading. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 through 25. Listen. This is the point to this whole passage. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Right? The world's wisdom is foolish. Why, why is the world's wisdom foolish? What are all those Grammys and all that money and all those things that our world says that if you pursue, you're going to be happy? Where are those going to get you when death comes? And it says... Has not God made the foolishness the made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through its wisdom, and it pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks sought wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles. Listen to this. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And listen to this. And it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, a righteousness, and a sanctification, and a redemption. Do you hear that, church? Solomon is wanting to bring you to the end of your wisdom because in your wisdom, there's no hope, really. There's no hope. If you do it all right in this world, and you get it all right in this world, and you miss God's wisdom, and you miss Christ, you miss the fact that God himself has already made a remedy for our sin. That God himself has come to earth, has given us Christ, and said, all who look to Christ, there is hope. Even in the grave, there is hope. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's where Solomon the preacher is bringing us to. He's saying, listen, I don't care if you have the wisdom of all the world. 
And you can give people counsel and you can direct them here and you can direct them. In fact, I don't even care if you're so wise, you can navigate yourself through the White House untouched. You won't get away from suffering. You won't get away from sin. And death is still coming. But the scripture, the message is, right? The 65 other books of the Bible are trying to answer the question of this one book. God has made a way in Christ. Where sinners like you and I can be made right with God. And that God promises us that even in our pain and suffering, and even in death, there is going to be resurrection glory one day for you. Isn't that good news? Isn't it the good news that God did not leave us to our own wisdom and our own folly? But listen, that's what it is. It's news. It's not religion. It's good news. And that news is either true and Jesus really is who he says he is, or that news is false. And we're all dead in our sin. And you know what? We're here in this life of suffering, so you know what? Live it up, drink, party, and have as much sex as you can because this is all there is. But the Bible says, no, that's not all there is. That God became one of us, gave us himself in his own wisdom to make us right with him. See, the preacher is trying to despair you, but not for the sake of crushing you for the sake of saving you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace. And God, I pray that we as your church would understand your grace that's been shown to us in Christ and it would cause us to be gracious to others. It would cause our face to shine and it would cause us to be benevolent and kind and generous people. God, so that others might know the good news of Christ. So that others might know the reason for the hope that we have. God, we thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you for how it weans us from the world. We thank you for how it saves us from wasting our life. But more than that, God, we thank you that it brings us to Christ, that it brings us to Jesus. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for your kindness shown to us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This time in the service, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I will ask you to stand. We're gonna, we're gonna say the Apostles' Creed together. Uh, so if you would rise, we'll say the Apostles' Creed together. I'm actually looking for my copy of it. So the church, this is what we believe together about the Lord. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to the Lord's table, the sacrament of the Lord's table, just like the sacrament of baptism, it's meant to point us to Christ. It's meant to, to point us to the greater reality of what Christ has done. And it's also to encourage us that God has prepared a table for us, not this table, but the table that is with him in heaven, that one day we will be with the Lord and we will eat and drink with him. But until that day, we celebrate the Lord's table together. And if you are here and you are a believer in Christ, then this table's for you. It's not just for Presbyterians or Baptists or Catholic. It's for God's people, universal. And so Christ said on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, it says that he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And it says in like, like manner, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many. He says, as often as you drink this cup and as often as you eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so as we take communion together, if you don't know Christ, if you're here and you don't know the reality of Christ, then don't come to his table, come to him because he is the wisdom from God, right? He is our salvation and our hope. So if you're here and you don't know Christ, let the elements pass and come to Christ. Come to Christ by putting your faith and confidence in him. As we come, Pastor Ben will be on this side, Michael will be on this side, you'll come and take the elements. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, you can take the elements where you're at, at your seat. We'll come together with friends or come together with those on your row, but come as we rejoice and celebrate the good news that God's wisdom has been given to us in Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this table, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are thankful that though our own wisdom could not rescue us, could not save us, that God in his grace and kindness has given us Christ to be our wisdom and our hope. So as we come to the table tonight, God, may Christ meet us here, may he encourage us, and then may he remind us that his promises and his covenants are good and right and sure in the place that we can find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.